Hello and welcome back to another edition of Podcast from the Edge with me, Peter Bruce. When I started these podcasts in 2020, I tried to make light of the fact that I'm not an expert in anything and that these conversations are a way for me to learn from people who actually do know what they're talking about. Everything was going well until I landed on climate change. Here the arguments are so dense and entangled, it's almost impossible to follow them. Even policymakers seem to avoid clarity just in case it lands them on the wrong side of a debate they prefer not to engage in. Today, my guest is a calm and thoughtful person. And as a former cabinet minister, Mohammed Bali Musa leaves the mark because of his early environmental invitation to make us pay for the plastic bags we fill with our shopping. Bali Musa has been out of government for a long time, and he's retired now, he tells me. But President Sora Ramaphosa, as is his want, has reached out and pulled him back in, this time as deputy chairman of the Presidential Commission on Climate Change. Uh, as the name allows, the president is the chairman. But, Bali, um, I would guess that you, uh, as the deputy chairman, do most of the work. I know that Crispin Oliver, also very well-known uh, former senior official in government, Chippy Oliver, is your senior executive. But what is the commission's job? Uh, thank you very much, uh, Peter. Nice to talk to you. Uh, the, the, the commission arose out of what was called a job summit held in 2019. And at the job summit, a proposal was put forward that a national commission should be established in order to develop national consensus on the pathway from where we are, that is a high emissions economy to a low emissions economy. This is an extremely complicated matter, as you said, and the various social partners, business, labor, and the others was saying we can't just leave this to government because it's complicated and it affects all of us very, very deeply. And therefore, we, should, we want to be involved in the discussion and the decision-making as far as this is concerned. So the proposal was made to set up a national commission. On this commission, you have serving persons from the cabinet, cabinet ministers. You have uh, uh, the private sector, uh, the the uh, the trade union uh, trade unions the entire labor movement is represented there and then various environmental and other NGOs on the thing so you've got the main social partners at that job summit at which I wasn't present so I can't take credit for what I think was a very good idea uh, at that job summit the proposal was made that it should be a presidential commission and by that it meant it should be chaired by the president so that it is independent of any particular government department or particular uh, uh, cabinet minister as such, because each minister, ministers have slightly competing interests as far as this is concerned, understandably so. And they also wanted it to be an independent commission. So the president went ahead and he, he appointed the commission and asked me to be the deputy chair of the commission. Uh, uh, by that, it means that de facto, I'm the chair of the commission. The president can, of course, walk in and take over and get rid of me. That's theoretically, I suppose, that's what it is. So this commission is an, it's an interesting body, uh, Peter, because, you know, we're a very high emissions economy right now, and we need to become a low emissions economy. In fact, we need to become an economy that would be about net zero emissions by the year 2050. So the, 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 the strategy and the plan for doing this is one that cannot sit neatly within the five-year term of any particular government administration. It's going to be a multi-term thing. In fact, it may even be multi-generational. And it's for that reason 
that it that it was an excellent idea for whoever came up with this idea that let's make it a national strategy, not the strategy of the serving party or the serving president or the administration or, or, or the likes or dislikes of any particular minister as such, but let's do that. The other reason for it, for, for, for a commission like this to develop national consensus, it, it won't work without national consensus. Government can say whatever they want to, about uh, shutting down fossil fuel plants and mines and such things. But if the labor movement doesn't buy into the thing, you will have such labor chaos because this has big implications for the livelihoods of so many families that it actually won't happen at the end of the day. Come the next election and you're going to have a political party that would promise something different and they will get the votes and that's what's going to happen. So. It would, uh, and then, of course, you need the cooperation of the private sector uh, to buy into this thing, to become excited, to see the opportunity for to make profits as such. So let me now summarize. So the Presidential Climate Commission, let me just say it's a commission in name only. You know, it's called a commission so that it sounds like it's quite an important thing, but it's not, not in term, it doesn't exist in terms of the Commission's Act. It doesn't have any powers to subpoena anybody or anything of that sort. And I like it that way because what it means is that we are forced to build consensus rather than throw the book at any particular social partner as such. So our job is to develop national consensus on a pathway to a low emissions economy in a manner that grows the economy, that creates jobs, and that obviates the need for the current workers in the fossil fuel industry to pay the price for what we as a society wants to do. So that's a complicated thing, but it's a, it's a wonderful challenge. And we exist for about a year, and I think we're already off to a very good start. Right, let me stop you there then and ask you, we've just seen uh, a debate and quite a lot of news arising out of the fact that South Africa has begun to borrow from the World Bank through the Bank for International Reconstruction and Development, which implies it's a, these are policy-related loans. And so the, the promises that we make to ourselves, we're now making to international development finance institutions like the World Bank and possibly um, in the future, the IMF as well. So whether we have a consensus or not, we, in a sense, we're already locking ourselves into the target, which is zero emissions or, or carbon-free by 2050. Um, uh, and I just, you know, everything I read tells me that South Africa is warming at twice the global rate, or Southern Africa is, We've also recently, last year, in, in Glasgow, increased our decarbonization offer. So we've offered to decarbonize um, more and more quickly. And I wonder is whether that doesn't, does that not make your job much more pressing? In other words, we can't mess around. And if you can't get the um, consensus that you talk about, someone, it's, you, you, something's going to have to break. And it can't, if it's, a, if it's our promises to our creditors, there's trouble. Yes, uh, Peter. Firstly, I must just say that uh, I'm, I, I prefer not to work on the basis that we've made promises to the international community or to the World Bank, or that if we do or don't do something on climate change, that we will 
anger people in other parts of the world. I'd prefer not to work on that basis because people usually refer to the developed world when they talk about this. Our biggest problem when it comes to global warming is the United States of America. They account for about 25% of all emissions. They're only about 4 or 5% of the world population. And they have been singularly uncooperative around the world. So we're not doing this to make promises to other sorts of people. And I don't really uh, take kindly to the developed world that has been the cause of where we are currently, by the way, not ourselves, if whatever it may look like, not even South Africa, uh, 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 sort of taking the moral high ground on the sorts of things. So let's put that out of the way. Why is it that we need to do it? And why is it that you are absolutely correct that this is urgent? It's an urgent imperative for a number of reasons. One, uh, the planet is warming up. And if it, if it continues to warm up, it would be disastrous for human beings and for nature. And as a responsible country, uh, we should not be contributing towards the, the coming disaster. Secondly, uh, the world is moving on as far as technology is concerned. And we shouldn't want to be an economy that uses yesterday's technology whereas everybody else is beginning to use tomorrow's technology. That cannot be good for our economy and for economic growth. Thirdly, uh, it has been recognized in most developing countries that what's referred to as the green economy offers huge opportunities both for investment and for growth. And for investment, of course, because actually... Nobody wants to invest in fossil fuels. And that's the reason why if we, want, if we want to mobilize capital, domestic or international capital, it will have to be around a green economy. The next point, the next reason then, is that very soon fossil fuel energy will be much more costly than renewable energy or any other form of energy. Uh, uh, you would know, Peter, that the price of coal is at record highs now. If, you, if you're in a coal industry, you would be laughing all the way to the bank because they're making a hell of a lot of money. In fact, fossil fuel energy is becoming extremely expensive and it's only going to go in one direction. I can give you my views and why I say that, but take it from me. It's only going to become more and more expensive. So affordable energy a few years from now is going to be non-fossil fuel energy. And then lastly, the question of our exports. Everybody else is taking steps to move towards a low emissions economy. And when I say everybody else, especially the people who import our goods and services, people who import our agricultural products, avocados and, and uh, oranges and wine, people who import our commodities, our mining products, various other sorts of things. The motor car manufacturers who manufacture motor cars here for other parts of the world, they're all going to introduce border adjustments on countries that are producing with a higher carbon content. And it's for that reason, if we want to continue exporting, and in fact, we should want to grow our exports, then we have to have a lower carbon context. So for, a, for all of those reasons, it's important for us to do that. But Peter, let me just say, 
I think we are very lucky because in South African society, there's more or less consensus on what we've just said. This is not something, just my view. I think that society as a whole understands the challenge is how do you get there? At what pace do we do it? What do you shut down first? What do you open up first? That is really the challenge. Do we have, do we, do we move from coal to renewable energy directly? Or do we introduce a, a natural gas as what is referred to as a transition fuel because it has lower emissions? If we do that, how do we do that and to what extent do we do it? So those are the, 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 the discussions that are going on right now. Well, it's very difficult, I can imagine, for you because you've got to make decisions or you've got to give advice to to the government um, on what choices to make. You know, if you look at the current state of debate, um, the the Minister of Minerals and Energy um, is batting um, uh, hard for fossil fuels. Uh, we, you know, I'm talking about the seismic surveys uh, offshore. Um, uh, for for coal as it is now, he sees he sees the the movement towards um, uh, a green energy future as very threatening, and he's a powerful figure in South Africa and in the government, and he will be he will play a you know a central role in in decisions that could have a long lasting um, effect. How do you? intervene in those arguments because they you say that there's a consensus but i had um a very entertaining debate last week with david nichols who is the chairman of the nuclear energy corporation uh former former nuclear submarine chief engineer so he's sat on top of nuclear reactors in rough seas when you know when they're moving so he's not frightened of nuclear um and he you know he is 100% against um, not you know um, green energy. I read him out a report uh, I just read from Australia, where the Australian Energy Council is saying you know prices are actually falling in Australia because of the contribution of green energy. And if you say that to some people, and there was an interesting letter from another chap called Andrew Kenny in the Sunday Times um, yesterday, uh, once again having making an out you know a determined argument that green energy was, you know, irredeemably expensive. How do, you, how, do you find, how do you find common ground with people who disagree with you so, so strongly? Yeah, uh, uh, Peter, uh, uh, I don't think that uh, we have the time to talk about nuclear and how, how green or ungreen nuclear is. So I don't want to really go into that for now. No, fair just, just to say that it is a topic on its own and it's a separate uh, uh, question that we can talk about. But, you know, uh, you speak about this consensus. Think about other countries. Think about a country like the United States of America. You have one president, Obama, goes to something called the Paris uh, a COP, you know, and he signs up to the Paris Climate Agreement. Uh, it's in uh, it's some other year in December 2015, and then uh, that February a fellow got a fellow called Trump comes in, and he says, "Oh, what's this?" He tears it up in public, and uh, he gets cheered by what appears to be most people in the United States for doing that. And uh, then you've got uh, uh, 
uh, Biden, uh, President Biden, he goes to Glasgow and he says all sorts of things and we must bring coal to an, coal to an end, et cetera, et cetera. He goes back and people from his own party says, what do you think you were, who do you think you were talking for? And they've rolled the whole, everything back. Biden has got egg on his face. Now, we are very fortunate that we don't have that kind of situation in South Africa. Look at the political parties. There is not one political party that has said that a transition to a low emissions economy is a bad thing. Nobody has said that. Um, uh, of course, uh, you know, if we take the opposite, normally some other opposition party will be opposed to that. None of our, our opposition parties, unfortunately, none of them have got any policy on climate. So you can't say what their policy is, but you can say that they're not opposing what we're trying to do. None of, it, none of them are come from a kind of a, a right wing uh, sort of place where they would say that. Uh, and then when you talk about the private sector, uh, just for you to know, Peter, all the meetings of the commission we held last year were open to, to people like you to observe and to the public in general. And I had invited some of the big CEOs to tell us whether the private sector is in agreement. The CEO of Anglo, the CEO of Exaro, the CEO of Sasol, the CEO of ESCOM, amongst those at various times addressed the commission and said that they support a 2050 net zero target and they are internally preparing themselves to get there. And some of them even gave detail as to how they would get there. So they, we've con got consensus there. Uh, in government, we've got consensus on this matter. The thing that you talk about is if you were the minister responsible for mining, then the coal mining companies are your constituency. They expect you to stand up for them because you, that's what you get paid to do as a public servant. The coal workers are your constituency. And so what we shouldn't be surprised when Minister Mantash says, but what about the coal workers? You're not just going to go about shutting down the coal mines willy-nilly. What about all of those towns in, in Pumalanga who depend on the coal mines and the coal-fired power stations? It's completely... I think he, frankly, I think he's doing the responsible thing. He can't just abandon his post. And so we, the commission, he's a member of the commission, by the way. And at none of the commission meetings has he disagreed with anything that the commission has done. You refer to the, our targets, which are called nationally determined contributions. The government had proposed and cabinet took a decision that we should have the following targets by the year 2025, 2035, et cetera, et cetera. And when, when the commission discussed this matter, the commission was of the view that the government's targets were far too modest and we, could, we, we can be more ambitious and we should be more ambitious about those targets. Remember the commission, we've got the labor movement and business also on the commission. It's not just a group of NGOs. And so the commission uh, took its own decision on the targets, which of course, it's not a binding decision on anybody because we try to work on consensus and persuasion. And the, the cabinet went back to the drawing board and adopted the targets that were suggested by the commission. And Minister Mantash was very much part of that. The commission, I think this year, the commission will be working extremely closely with the Department of Energy because, you know, our first year is over, the rubber hits the road now, and uh, we need to talk about, you know, 
actual steps that are going to be taken. And you can expect that to happen. Already, the Department of Energy has indicated they would like to work closely with the Commission in, in, uh, 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 in a redetermination of the current resource plan that the country has. So we, 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 I must say, we, when I look, I know what happens in most countries around the world. And I can tell you, we're right now, we're in a reasonably good spot. So you will, re, you will rework the IRP, the Integrated Resource Plan of 2019? Not we will rework it. The department, it's not our job. Mm -hmm. It's the government's job to do that. But the government has said they would like to involve the commission and they would like to work with the Commission in order to develop the national consensus, which the Commission is a vehicle to do. And we will, of course, make our own input. We're not just a passive recipient. We've got phenomenal capacity. Yeah. If you speak to the executive director, he would be able to tell you we've got now some of the best capacity in the country and uh, uh, on, on climate change. We've, we've right. really been able to, just, to mobilize some. Good, good I want to just come back to climate change generally, but if you could just ask you one last question about um, Minister Mantash. The, what I found unsettling um, was not so much his commitment to coal, but his genuine, what appears to be, anger at activists who are um, working to prevent the seismic surveys of one, the Transkei Coast, uh, late last year, and now on the West Coast. And he seems to be suggesting that these are foreign-funded uh, people who don't, you know, who don't shouldn't have a voice in South Africa's climate debate. And I'd wonder if you'd just respond to that. I mean, do you get the same sense that I do, or am I misreading it? Yeah, let me just say that I, you know, firstly, this the seismic survey matter has not featured on the agenda of the commission. Nobody has raised it. The commission hasn't discussed it. So I can't tell you whether the commission has this or that view as far as, uh, 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 as, far as that is concerned. It's important for me to assist the commission in keeping focus. And the focus is what is a medium to long-term development strategy to take us to a low emissions economy. There's going to be any number of these sorts of things that will come up that creates lots of agro. And one should not be surprised it happens everywhere in the world. Look at the truck drivers in Canada. You know, it's not the end of the world. These things will happen. You'll have protests and you'll have politicians insulting each other and politicians insulting other people and other people insulting politicians. And I, I, it, yeah. it's, for, for me, it's really, it's a sideshow. It's not a... It's not an important matter in the work that I'm doing. I'm, I'm sorry to, you know, I don't want to undermine the strong feelings people have about the matter, but it's really not. Yeah, it's just that it's just that the, the seismic surveys have to do with many gas and gas's future, which you raised earlier on. Gas as a as a middle, as a sort of you know as a transition, as a transition fuel, as it were. Um, it's still a fossil fuel. It's still dirty. Um, uh, where's your where's your heart on gas? Do you think that you know? Do we do we develop a whole industrial complex based on gas? Gas, or do we do we find a middle ground where we generate? For instance, for instance, this year, later this year, the uh, Kamati Eskom's Kamati power station is due to be decommissioned. I think in October, and it's due then to be repurposed. Now, nobody really discusses w what the repurposing will do, what it will look like. Do we 
plaster it with solar panels or do we run gas through it? Um, what's your gut feeling about gas and its future here? Yeah, uh, Peter, when, when you talk about an economic development strategy, which is what the, the pathway to a low emissions economy is concerned, it's, it's not a neat thing, it's a complicated thing. So the easiest way for us to have low emissions is to shut down all of our current power stations and we'll have no emissions, but we'll be shutting down the economy as, as a whole. Everything that I've seen so far, that the, the, the pace at which the coal-fired power stations will be shutting down, because you're not gonna build new coal-fired power stations, there's consensus about that, but the old ones cannot run forever. We've, they've got to be shut down in a, in a proper systematic way, otherwise they will just break down and shut themselves down. So when those, those get shut down, the pace at which they get shut down, at this stage, all indications are that solar and wind will not replace all of that capacity. And so what you're going to need is you're going to need some degree of gas along the way. That's why it's referred to by people as a transitional fuel, that in the transition, it has a much lower carbon content than coal, you know, uh, as, as, as far as the calories produced are concerned. And so as a transition fuel, that would happen. But because of what you're saying, the extreme nervousness on the part of everybody to talk about anything that is still fossil fuel, you know, in Europe, they don't have the problem. In China, they say, we won't, get we won't be net zero by 2050, we'll be net zero by 2060. And so in Europe, they're laying on new gas capacity all the time. One of the big issues in this fight between Russia and NATO is about the gas pipeline. Yeah. And so they're laying on gas. All indications are, I spoke to the NEDLEC summit on the 7th of December last year, and I said there that all indications are that gas will be needed as a transition fuel. Uh, but of course, there's, there's, there's important bodies of opinion which says we don't. So we, we need to debate that. We need to allow for thorough debate of the matter. And this year, we will be going into detail as far as that is concerned. My gut feeling is that it's too early for us to say that we're not going to need any kind of fossil fuel to reach net zero by 2015 in an organized way which grows the economy and which minimizes uh, avoidable suffering. So, Dali, do you think then that it's possible to get to 2050, to get this just transition, perhaps long before 2050, um, to get this just transition in a way that you can that you can save the tens of thousands of jobs that it currently exist in the digging up, in the mining, in the transport, in the burning of coal? It just seems too much to ask of any economy. Surely, um, I mean, I was reading that paper, I'm sure you did as well, um, by Michael Sachs the other day, um, where, he, where he quite clearly says, uh, former director of the Office of the Budget in the Treasury, where he quite clearly says that there is simply no way that all these jobs can be transitioned, um, that we will have to get used to somehow um, a very, very large group of people in South Africa who will never have jobs. Yeah. Uh, uh, Peter, if we, if we don't transition very rapidly, that's when we're going to lose a hell of a lot of jobs. Because think about it. 
the coal-fired power stations will shut down. So the thermal coal mines will shut down and you won't have new energy. And so you're going to have even more severe energy shortages than we have currently. So that it's not like there's much of a choice as far as this is concerned. I think we just have to do it. You speak about the pace. What do I think about the pace? Peter, I think, you know, often, almost every single time people underestimate the pace, the pace at which new technology happens. Think about, you and I are old enough to remember the day that cell phones were introduced. I mean, there was a one hell of a debate, especially the labor movement was completely opposed to cell phones, if you remember, introduction of cell phones at the time. But uh, it happened, and who would have thought that every person, even the person employed with a lower salary has got a cell phone, and even a lot of unemployed people, just about everybody has got a cell phone. It's become the means to communicate. So no, it went faster than anybody would have thought. And so my, 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 if you ask for my gut feeling, my gut feeling is the move towards electric vehicles is going to happen very, very rapidly. Uh, it's, it's, it's not a matter of decades, it's just a matter of years before you find trucks that are going to be fully electric running from Johannesburg to Cape Town and Port Elizabeth and Durban and all of those national roads would have electric charging points. It, it's just a matter of, it's, it's, not, it's not even a complicated thing to do, by the way. And that's going to happen because the logistics companies are looking at that. They want to have competitive advantage. And uh, there's, for example, there's a hell of a lot of Volvo trucks on our road, on our roads. I don't know if you're aware of it. I don't know how much you know about trucking. I know that, uh, you know, uh, see you see them. And, you know, Volvo's not going to make anything but fully electric trucks. And they're, yeah. they're not going to leave this yeah. market. So they're going to build that infrastructure, which is, not ex which is not as complicated as it seems. And if you think about it, it's far less complicated then setting up shell ultra cities and transporting fuel to all of these places. And it's, it's much less, com so it's going to happen very, very rapidly. As far as renewable energy is concerned, today it looks like we're going to need a hell of a lot of gas, but probably when the time comes, we're going to find we're going to need less of it because the improvements in the efficiencies in the technology happens once it becomes commercialized and renewable yes. energy has now become commercialized worldwide and financial institutions are only putting money into renewable energy. They're putting money into no other form of energy as you're aware. I had, you, I had a you with, track? With, uh, with the CEO of, uh, of Seriti, which is probably our biggest coal mining company, Mike Tecker. Mm. And uh, yeah. Mike said, but, you know, you guys need to think about all these people who are working on our minds. We, produce, we, you know, we're helping a lot of families. We're putting kids to school. And he was completely correct on that. And then I said to him, mm. Mike, my, my estimation is there isn't going to be another new coal mine in South Africa. What do you think? He says, I'm absolutely correct. That as the coal mines uh, 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 become uh, 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 too expensive to mine, they will not be replaced by new mines. And the simple reason for that is nobody can assemble a financial package to do a big fossil fuel project here or anywhere in the world. And that's why it's not going to happen. So I think this is going to happen very fast. And uh, we, must, we must know. We must be ready and prepared for it. One last question. Batteries. Um 
battery technology is on the move and moving very quickly. There's a, there's a lot of money being put poured into solid state batteries so that there's no need for um, liquids, you know, for the lithium ions to move along. Um, uh, at some stage, battery storage will become a reality for solar and wind-powered power stations, which will change the debate again. I, I, th I think that we are not very far from the point where people are not going to believe that there was a time when you, when you, when you constructed a five- or ten-story building that uh, you got power from somewhere else. I think with battery storage, everything is going to become self-sufficient, and we're not very far from that. I, I've, I've got no doubt in my mind that many, many plants are simply going to do that. And, and what you're going to find is the, the mining industry. You know, the mining industry, every time there's a commodity super cycle, they make so much money that you and I cannot even imagine it with our, with our you know, ordinary little brains. And they are going to keep their plants working. The only way to do it is to have storage. Yeah. So the development of storage technology is moving rapidly. Last question, Bali. In your mind, uh, your position is, because it's important, there's so many people in this debate, green technology, ultimately renewable technology, is now or will be uh, cheaper or the cheapest option. Uh, f uh, for energy, cheaper than coal, cheaper than nuclear? Yes, I, I've got absolutely no doubt in my mind that we are just a few years away from the point where it will become the most uh, cost-effective okay. of energy. There's, there's no doubt Fantastic. about it. Fantastic. Listen, I want to thank you very much for joining me today. It's been great talking to you. Uh, well, thank you very much for joining me for this discussion with Vali Musa. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I want to do more and more podcasts on the climate debate, so we'll have some arguments and some disagreements in the next couple of weeks, and I hope you will join me for them. Till next week, uh, take care and look after yourself. Bye-bye.